0: This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I'm the minister here with the North Valley. Church of Christ. Well, I am glad you're here with me. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at Numbers chapter 21 here in just a little bit. Uh, but I want to, again, remind you about the things that are coming up this summer. I've uh, talked about this about, about a month ago, that up at uh, in Prescott, Arizona, we have the Copper Basin Bible Camp. And it, I remember, you know, some of my greatest memories as a kid is going to camp in the summer after school. And my kids have been going up there for the last several summers. They're getting old enough now for that. And they keep asking me about it. They just can't wait to go to camp. They love it. And we all want to be able to, I, I, at least I think, we all want to be able to send our kids to camp. But, boy, is it expensive. Isn't it expensive? I have seen some places, You're, you're they're charging some something like one thousand dollars per kid per week. Oh, it's so high. What if I told you, if you have a kid in fourth grade or all the way up into senior in high school, you can send them to camp for one hundred and ninety-five dollars per kid per week. What w- would you like? Wouldn't that isn't that affordable? I mean, yeah, it's a little pricey, but it's a whole week, and you, we feed them, we take care of it. Everything. It goes from Sunday afternoon till Friday afternoon. That's fantastic. That's so cheap. And and if you have a kid who's potty trained, okay, you got to be potty trained, be able to, eh, mainly potty trained. They can take care of that. And uh, they're under fourth grade. We have what's called cub camp. Now that's different. It's $95 per kid and it's not a whole week. And we require a parent or a legal guardian to be present there on the grounds. We don't. You don't have to be be there. We, in, in fact, actually, we really don't want the parents seen by the kid. You're there just in case. And what Cup Camp's all about is to get the kids used to being at camp. That starts at, uh, you know what, I should have pulled that up. Let me get that up here on my computer. Uh, let's see, CopperBasinBibleCamp.org. Look at that. Oh, there it is. June 1st second and the third so i look at my calendar here what what days does that fall on you would think i would know this by now right all right june for okay that's a wednesday thursday friday it starts wednesday afternoon all day thursday and then you guys go home friday morning-ish afternoon so it's it's real short and it gets them used to the idea of of being at camp and used to the idea of being away from mommy and daddy And you can do that for a couple of years. My kids went through that. They loved it. And I've got one of them going into fourth to sixth grade this this year, and the other two are still in cup camp. They'll probably do that for just a little bit longer until they get to fourth grade. And it's a great way to introduce them to camp. And it's only $95. So look into those things. CopperBasinBibleCamp.org. Check it out. It is awesome. My kids have been singing. Ryan Biddecoffer is directing the cup camp. He's got this song um, you're from sunset we're from we're all from sunset free and it's, it's a like a combination of all these camp songs all in one and my kids have been singing it all year and they keep asking me about when's camp I' say, well right after school's over you got to be patient wait check it out dot super affordable it's a great camp and Bible base and we, we don't allow cell phones we disconnect them from all that and it is a great great time of year for the for the kids, check it out. Okay, <clears throat> so here at North Valley, I've been doing a class. <coughs> and originally, <coughs> excuse me. Originally, I was going to I was going to do a series where we look at particular characters of the Bible, and I thought, well, let's look at Moses. And uh, well, it it, it kind of morphed into looking at the whole book of Exodus, morphed into looking at the wilderness wanderings and we're in the book of Numbers, and we're almost done with it because we're just we're not going through the whole book, although we did almost with, with Exodus. Well, no, we didn't almost. We're, we're mainly just following uh, the Israelites all the way to re- when they uh, get to the promised land for the second time, and then we're going to end it there. So we're almost there, and we're, we're taking our time. We're, we're really looking at the text to understand what's going on, and I, and I love Numbers chapter 21. Here it's a it's the end of the wilderness wanderings. And you know, whenever we say that, just kind of a little excursus here. When we say wilderness wanderings, you know that that's the forty years of wandering in the in the desert. We would say, but it's not really a desert. They're just outside of populated areas, but they're <clears throat> and they're not wandering because when they rejected the promised land. There, uh, when they the first time they sent the the twelve spies, ten were bad and two were good. That's one of the songs from camp, and they rejected that. And then God says, oh, "You're not going to get it." So He sends them away, and for four uh, well, actually for thirty eight years, but with the other two years of getting there, that's a total of forty. And they and for that generation to die off, and then the next generation of twenty years and younger will get the promised land. They don't wander around in the desert. So what actually happens is they uh, they. They move on down to uh, Kadesh Barnea, and that's just south where they were at, right there at the southern part of the, of Canaan. They move down there and they stay there in that one spot for 38 years. And then when that time is over, then they move on out from, uh, move up to Mount Hor. They they send out a delegation to. Edom to see if they can pass through. Of course, Edom says no. They, then they move south and they come up around. And that's where we're at here in uh, Numbers chapter 21. <clears throat> so Edom already told them no, so they're going to move on out and start heading toward Edom, then down south toward the, the Red Sea and they around Edom, go up north. And one of the, the questions that always pops in my head when I read about this is, why not just enter into Canaan into the uh, the land of promise right there <coughs> excuse me right there they they're they're already there why have, do they have to go all the way around? Why does God want them to do that? Well I mean because God wants them to, and my only uh supposition and that 's all this can be is that because they had rejected the promised land from that point god's not going to take them in that way now you're going to have to learn a few things maybe maybe they need uh uh some of the uh Israelites still are alive from that older generation. They need to die off, and that's what that is. I don't know, but he's going to take them around south, a long journey, and they're going to have to learn some things. And, uh, one sec. Sorry, I still have a bit of a sore throat from the Omicron, and i got to take a drink there so I don't cough too much. <coughs> there I go. And so they're they're going to have this learning stage. In this chapter 21, Of all the things that have occurred with Israel from the time of Egypt to here, this is the most uplifting positive chapter of the whole of what we call the wilderness wanderings. So let's start with verses 1 through 3. When the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of uh, Atherim, then he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. The Lord heard the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. Then they utterly destroyed them and their cities. Thus the name of that place was called Horma. So they're, they're there at uh, Mount Hor. And I, you, obviously you can't see a map, but that's further south, or a little or south of... Um, of area where the the Canaanites are, but before they move toward Edom, they're following this path. It goes up north and then it turns over to the east toward Edom. So imagine these, you know, these millions of of uh, Israelites are down there. If the the era uh, the Canaanites have already whipped up on them. About 38 years ago when they tried to enter the promised land after God told them, fine, you can't have it, you're going to die off. Then they tried to go in and the Canaanites, uh, the Amorites, whip up on them. So everyone knows they're there. There's millions of people. They're, They're not going to forget about these guys. And so when you see these millions of people coming up, what are you going to think? Oh, man, they're coming for me. And so he's going to come down and whip up on them again. And he does, and he takes some of them captive. So Israel, they do the right thing. Instead of just getting angry or getting upset or complaining, they go to the Lord first. If you deliver them to our land, we'll utterly destroy them. And the Lord allows them. And they they do destroy them and wipe them out, probably bring back the captives. And then they just continue on their journey toward uh, Edom and then they'll turn south. So verse 4, Then they set out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to go ar- uh, around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. Now, you may be thinking, Chris, this doesn't sound very positive, but just be patient and wait for it. But again, I wish you could see a map. They have to, it's a long journey south. And they're probably thinking, why are we we're moving away from the, the promised land? Why couldn't we have gone straight north into it? Why did you bring us out here just to die? And this, even though they say they have, there is no food and that they loathe this miserable food, that what they're really saying is that they don't like. They're getting tired of the manna again. They're getting tired of that. And so they're, they're complaining again. So this doesn't sound very positive, but it will be. It will be. Now, normally when this happens, Moses uh, gets onto them uh, or the Lord punishes them immediately or right away. And the text tells us in verse 6, The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove uh, remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Now this is the beginning of the, or not the beginning, but the second and the biggest, I should say, of the change in the minds and hearts of the Israelite people. Never, never in, in all the text from Egypt to now have we seen this attitude from the Israelites. Before Moses said anything, before words were given to them, they came to Moses. And their first words is exactly what they needed to say. We have sinned. We have sinned. Good for them. And they knew why they sinned. Because we spoke against the Lord and you, Moses, the prophet. And then they asked him to intercede on their behalf to remove the serpents. So they understood exactly why those serpents were there. Awesome. Great great attitude. And then verse 8. So Moses intercedes for the people, <coughs> takes it to the Lord, excuse me. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall be uh, shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, When he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Okay. So the fiery serpent, probably called the fiery serpent, probably because when it would bite, it burned. And of course, it's a a venom, more than likely. It spreads through the body and it it burned. It hurt until eventually the person would die. And did God remove the serpents? He did not. They continued to get bit and it would be painful. And then how long did it take to make this bronze serpent? It didn't, you know, this isn't something they were able to throw together in a couple of minutes, I doubt. I'm assuming this would take a day, two, three, maybe a week as people continue to die. But they, were, they waited because they knew this was because of their sin. And they put it up on a standard. And he probably put it on a standard because they're going to have to move it around. I don't think they just stood around waiting until all the serpent thing was done. I think they continued moving forward. The serpents maybe followed them. We don't know how long. And when you would get bit, it would be painful. It would hurt. You look to the standard, the bronze serpent, and you would live. And so when they would be bitten by those snakes, what would that remind them of? Their sin. And then they would look to the bronze serpent. And what would that remind them of? God's grace, right? And then, after this, you know, move, moving away from the story for just a moment, we read about this uh, standard, this bronze serpent that God had Moses made. We read about this a couple of more times in the Bible. First, it comes up uh, during the days of Hezekiah. He finds it in the temple. Second uh, Kings. I didn't write it down. I don't have it in front of me, but it's in the Kings somewhere, where he finds it in the temple. And it mentions that this is the bronze serpent from this time, and the people begin or had started to worship this thing as an idol, unbelievable. So they held on to it for a while. That's a ama- that's unbelievable that they would do that. that. That tells you that they don't even remember this story more likely, but they found it. They thought it would look neat, so they worship it as a god. Pathetic. And then it comes up another time. Do you remember when that was? So it's found over in John chapter three in the gospel. Where Jesus is right before Jesus says um, in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. And before he says that in verse fourteen, he ta- tells them like as the, uh, Moses raised up the, the serpent in the desert, so shall the Son of Man be raised up. Now. With what we just said in mind, think about that. When the people were bitten by the snakes, it reminded them of their sin. When they looked at the bronze serpent, it reminded them of the grace of God. And what is grace? Receiving that which you do not deserve. When the sting of sin hits us, it reminds us you know, how we just can't do it, can we? We can't do it on our own. But when we look to Christ on the cross... It retells us and reminds us of God's grace. We don't deserve that, but he gave it to us anyway. That's what Jesus was pointing to and wanted us to, to see in this story. Here with the bronze serpent and the fiery serpents that probably followed them, kept biting them. That's why God didn't take them away. So it would remind them, and it did. And from this point forward, you see a totally different attitude from the Israelites from this point forward. And they hold. <coughs> excuse me. They hold on to it. They remain faithful to God throughout their whole generation. But then, when you get over to uh, after Joshua's uh, story and the conquest, you get into the book of Judges. When this generation dies off, the next generation, their children, no, they don't. They don't hold. They don't hold fast to the word, and they fall away. <coughs> Man, I apologize for the coughing. And so they. Back over here in Numbers 21, they, they move forward uh, from the bronze serpent. In verses 10 to 20, it just talks about their, their traveling. And it, it's just really sparse. Uh, Numbers chapter 33, I think, is more detailed about all the stops they make from this point all the way up to Boab and into the, the Amorites' territory. But when I, we're not going to read through it. <clears throat> but I do want to point out there's two songs that are written in here, verses 14, 15. In verses seventeen and eighteen, at verse fourteen it says, "Therefore it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, Wahab in Sapha, and the wadis of the Arnon and the slope of the wadis that extend to the side of Ar and leans to the border of Moab." Now, <clears throat> in the English, you know that doesn't come across very well as a song, but I'm sure in the Hebrew it had a good rhythm to it. You can see that in the Hebrew, and so they're singing the song. And if you were in the military, you know all about cadence. When you're marching, you have cadences. And I remember a few times we would do these long marches, and we would sing our cadences, but, you know, they get boring. And so we make up our own. And usually we throw in things about either what's gone on or what happened or what we're doing in the march. And it's fun. It lifts our spirits. And we're looking forward to getting to where we're headed. This shows a heightened spirit. In the people of Israel, they're singing songs and making songs up. And their, their song is about the travels, and all the things they're doing. They're getting excited about where they're going. They're seeing and trusting in the Lord. And then verse, and just real quick, because we don't have much time, the book of the wars of the Lord. There, there's a book we don't know anything about, do we? We don't have it. The Lord never gave it to us, but there's many books, the Bible references, that we don't have. So that's interesting. Uh, verse 17. <laughs> it says, "Then Israel sang this song. Spring up, O well, sing to it, the well which the leaders sank, which the nobles of the people dug with the scepter and with their staff. So they're digging for water, right? And they're digging for water. How boring! But they're they're singing a song. Come on, well, spring up. Where you at? But this is a people who are excited about things to come. What a great attitude! And so that I think that's why this is put here, so so we can see." The difference in the Israelites. Verse 21. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let let me pass through your land. We will not turn off into field or vineyard. We will not drink water from wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your border. <coughs> it's pretty much the same thing. They said to the Edom, and the Edom told them no. But the difference between Edom and the king of Sihon, uh, Sihon the king of the Amorites, is that Edom just sent His forces down there to make sure they didn't cross the border. But the Amorites came down and fought against Israel. They just came straight out and began to fight them. And so Israel uh, strikes them back with the sword and took possession of the land, verse 24, from the Arnon to the Jabbok as far as the sons of Ammon, for the border of the sons of Ammon was Jezir. That's a large area. And the Amorites was no small people. They had a, a very big force, Sihon. The king here, he is mentioned outside of the book of uh, Numbers, I think like 21 or 28 times, all throughout the Old Testament, because this was such a massive win for the Israelites. Do you think that this battle and war that they won easily? These are, and I think it's over in chapter 33. You read this like some 60 fortified cities they took, and this didn't take years as it should have, because you got to lay siege all those fortified cities. No, it, they did this probably in a month, maybe less. I don't know, but not much time because we know they're going to be getting into the Promised Land pretty soon. So they get they get this done really quick. You think that got the attention of all the other kings on the other side of the Jordan? Absolutely. Remember when they were, when they go to Jer the spies go to Jericho to Rahab, and the dread of you she said told them the dread of you has fallen on all the kings and the people because. Look what happened to the Amorites. That was a huge army, and they just wiped them out. And then there's another song, verses 27 to 30, that the, they sang. It's the song that the Amorites would always sing. They sang it, and at the very end, verse 30, they put in their line, Well, we took you out. We cast, cast you down. And so they lived in the land of the Amorites. They didn't actually, that's looking to the future with Reuben, Gad, and and half of Manasseh. They actually lived there with their their little ones to stay there. They go on to war in the the, uh, promised land. But then, verse 33, Then they turned and went up by the way of Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, went out with all his people for battle at Edri. But the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand." And all his people in his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So they killed him and his sons and all his people until there was no remnant left him, and they possessed his land. That's uh, north of the Moab area. Get your <clears throat> right on the east side of the uh, Promised Land, the Canaanite land. And so the reason why you, you never see God encouraging Moses, you know, telling him, um, what do you say exactly? Oh, yeah, do not fear him. Now, obviously, that means Moses feared him. That's, that's what he is implying there. Why would he fear Og? This, his army is not as big as the Amorite king Sihon. They, they just easily took out because God was with them. Well, Og, uh, I think it's Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11 or 12. We read about his bed. He had an iron bed. Maybe you remember reading about it. It is, what was it? 13, 14 feet long. I think it's 13 feet long. Six feet wide. And this wasn't because he, it's not saying he was a fat man, because he would go out to battle with his people. This guy was probably bigger than Goliath. Could you imagine seeing this man coming at you in battle? How scary that would be? But they killed him. And that's another thing that the other kings across the river of Jordan are going to see. And they're probably all thinking over there in Jericho and others. uh kingdoms or, or cities, uh, city-states. Boy, we're glad there's that Jordan River separating them from us. Whew. But of course, we know what's going to happen if you remember the story. God's going to separate those waters and they're going to cross over the Jordan right there, right into the land. And then they're going to take Jericho in a most spectacular way because God is with them. What a change. Because the people... Saw and understood the purpose that God had for them. And they had it in their minds and in their hearts and they trusted in the Lord and not in themselves. That's the difference between the previous generation and this generation. And that's what God wants for us. What is your purpose? We we ask that question all the time. What's my purpose? Lord, God, what's my purpose? Well, we're going to get into that next week because we we already did it here at North Valley. I had a, a sermon on that What's our purpose? We look look at the general purpose God has for for all the church and the specific purposes that each and every one of us may or, or will, we do have that the Lord's given us. And we, we struggle sometimes with what is it? But when you know your purpose, when you know why you're here and what your purpose is, it helps drive you forward. It moves you because you know, you know. You will know the truth, Jesus told the Jews, and the truth will set you free. There he's talking about the real, real, uh, your real purpose in life. God's real purpose for you. What he has put in place for you and me. And it's all found in his son, in Jesus. And if you're not in the Christ, you have no hope because you and I can't do it. The snake bites us and we recognize our sin is always there and there's nothing we can do about it. Every time we try, we mess up. But look at Jesus on the cross and know and remember the grace of God that is there for you and for me always. Keep on keeping on. And have that that attitude in yourselves that we see in the Israelites here. Despite all those difficulties set before them, they sang songs. They were happy. They were excited because they knew God was with them. And he's with you too. We just have to remember. So take that with you this week. It will be Make the most of every opportunity the Lord sets before us. Thank you and God bless. Sin enough to sweep away till on the better day. Ring it out. Ring it out, bring it out, bring it, it, it out, till the, the sinful will be won for Jehovah's Mighty Son. Bring it out. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.